Welcome to Refocus, a podcast that helps you find your focus to build a thriving creative career in the music industry. I'm your host, Rosalind Dennett. Welcome to Refocus. My guest today is Angelique Francis. Our interview was recorded prior to the Juno Awards, and I'm happy to say that last week we got to watch Angelique win the Juno Award for Blues Album of the Year. We want to wish her and her band a huge congratulations. Here's our conversation. Hello and welcome to Refocus. Today we have the immensely talented Angelique Francis joining us. Angelique is a versatile and exceptionally gifted musician. This multi-talented, multi-instrumentalist, multi-genre singer-songwriter and composer has wowed audiences across the globe with her electrifying performances, instrumental abilities, and powerful textured vocals. She's known for her eclectic mix of various musical genres, including folk, blues, soul, roots, gospel, and Americana. Angelique has shared the stage and opened for well-known musicians such as Gary Clark Jr., Eric Gales, Keb Moe, Jimmy Vivino, Beth Hart, Tom Cochran, Burton Cummings, and many more. She has been awarded with two People Blues Awards, was nominated for a 2022 Ontario Folk Music Award, is nominated for a 2023 Canadian Folk Music Award, and most recently has received a Juno nomination for Best Blues Album of the Year. Angelique, welcome to Refocus. How are you doing? Hi, I'm great today. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm so excited that you are here. I have had the pleasure of seeing you perform a bunch of times. They truly are, as your bio says, electrifying performances. Everyone's on their feet. You know, it's always been a packed room. So I never get to chat with you. So I created an entire podcast. So I get to sit down and talk to Angelique Francis for a bit. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. With everything that you do, it's Wonderful to be here and finally get a chance to talk on this level. We mentioned in the bio that you were nominated for the Ontario Folk Music Award. You also performed there. You did the opening performance. And I haven't seen a group of industry folks up on their feet like that in a in a long time. You had everyone dancing in the <laughs> aisles. It was such an incredible way to start the celebration. So thank you so much for that. Oh, no, thank you for having us. <laughs> I'm, I'm really glad that everyone enjoyed the show and had a great time. What is amazing about your show that I don't know if, if people would know from, from just maybe reading a bio or, or seeing a photo is that you perform with your family. I do. Can you tell us a little bit about the members of your band? Yeah. So my band is known as Angelique Francis or the Angelique Francis Band. And you'll commonly see us as a four piece or up to a six piece. Um, and the members of my band include family members, my dad, Kieran Francis on drums, my sisters, Corinthia Francis on alto saxophone, baritone saxophone, tenor saxophone, and backing vocals, and my sister, Kira Francis on trombone and keys and backing vocals. And then we also have some other musicians such as Dave Williamson on lead electric guitar and Ed Lister on trumpet and keys. So I'm, I'm very fortunate to have my family with me and it's like home is always on on the road. 
you play so many instruments as well. The last time I saw you perform, I was trying to count. I couldn't count them all in one hand. <laughs> you, you played so many different instruments. How many instruments do you play? Quite a few. But the ones that I bring up on stage during our shows most often are the upright bass, the electric bass, the acoustic guitar, the electric guitar sometimes, keys, blues harmonica. That's pretty much all about we can fit in the car with all the horn instruments and drum kits. So. Tambourine, I feel like. Yeah. I, I often uh, lead the band with the foot tambourine and we, we dance a lot and kick our feet up in the air and do a different kind of showmanship with the tambourines on our feet as well. So what was it like growing up in this musical household? Um, It was amazing. I mean, it's very much part of my personal identity. And after dinners every night, we would jam together, write songs, use it as a medium to express ourselves and process everything that we experience in the world and also use it as a means to communicate with others. I feel like music definitely helped shape who I am because it connected me with so many other people and allowed me to gain confidence in such a unique way. And with my family, we love exploring many, many different kind of genres. And having this wonderful space to be able to do it with is just such a privilege. In your bio, you listed a bunch of genres that you identify with. And and you've been nominated for Folk Award, Blues Award. And you're writing your own original music, you know, which in some ways kind of transcends all of that or encompasses all of that. What were some of the influences on on your music growing up? What were you listening to? What are you listening to now? Well, I love to explore. (laughs) I'm very much in the belief that there is no such thing as bad music. There's just people have their different preferences. And I love performing and writing in roots music styles because I feel like there are so many roots and connections between the different genres, especially in North American music. And so with blues and folk and soul, there's there's interconnectivity. My most recent album, Long River, is an exploration of those many different kinds of roots-based music. Of course, there's a lot of roots in the blues, but there's also folk, soul, R&B, rock, and, and the different ways that they connect together. So because I love many different genres and I play so many different instruments and there are so many different aspects to what I do, I have many different influences for different aspects of my musicality. So for upright bass, I love Willie Dixon or Miles Mosley. For acoustic guitar, I love influences like Indy Ari or Skip James. For piano, I love Aretha Franklin, Oscar Peterson. There's there's so many different things. Harmonica, Sonny Boy Williamson. And of course, I love listening to different kinds of modern music too. But I, I really I really enjoy just the roots of different things that I grew up listening to. So there's just such a wide palette and there's so much more to explore. Do you um, identify with a particular genre or is there any point to have, is there a point to genres? I'm getting real deep. (laughs) Yeah, there's some, there's some reason to identify with a certain genre in particular. And, you know, I'm coming at it from running a folk organization, but it's kind of interesting when what you do is so unique, but also draws on all these various things. Do you think that there's a point to labeling it? As for me identifying with a singular genre, I can't. There's so many, there's so many amazing things. There's so many different stories that I would like to tell. And I think each genre has such a unique way of highlighting that and framing that. I do think there's a point to genres, but I wouldn't necessarily 
want it to be that way. I think most of the things with genre, I, I think a lot of roots-based music, a lot of folk music, a lot of blues music was in one category before. And eventually, as time went by, as the years went by, there were different genres and different niches that came about. I think that was done for marketing purposes. If people wanted to find a similar kind of music by marketing it in a certain way, they would be able to find similar music rather than it all kind of blending together. I I find that for me, there are so many different things that I write. I've been writing longer than I've been performing and I, I started performing very young. But I mean, if music is a reflection of an artist's personal experience and their thoughts and their feelings, there's so much more to explore there than what they choose to show people. I I write country songs. I write reggae. I write Mm R&B. But I may not necessarily showcase that because... There's a personal aspect to music, there's an art, and there's also a business side of things. And I want to show people a certain narrative. I want to have certain kinds of messages. Sometimes it can be frustrating, but sometimes it's really powerful because people may come to your music because they identify with a certain kind of message that you're putting out. And with Long River, with my with my most recent album, I wanted to inspire as many people as possible. You know, I got into music because I wanted to spread joy. I wanted people to forget about their pain by dancing and and connecting with people. And, you know, sometimes music can be more of a personal reflection. There are things you don't want to share with other people. So I think it's really interesting that there's a lot of different sides to things. People may not be showing you everything. When they're putting out music, it could be for to tell a meaning or it could be a product. But behind that all, there is an art form and there is beautiful creation in that. And what's your approach to to that art form? How do you approach songwriting? Well, I think a wonderful thing about creating music and songwriting is that there's no one right way. I find that maybe some of the biggest obstacles that people face when writing songs is preventing themselves from allowing those ideas to flow. There's no such thing as a bad idea. And oftentimes songs that I may think may not be performance worthy or or uh, something that would be a really silly idea. That silly idea inspires me to do something else based on that idea and it becomes something really beautiful. So I write songs in many different ways. Sometimes ideas just come to me from things that I experience in my life. Sometimes I write songs to be like stories. Sometimes I write songs to engage audiences with live performance. I want the shows that I give out to be more of like a communal music making experience where people feel like they're involved in the things that are happening there. It's very different from something that you might experience on a CD. But I think the wonderful thing about live performance is that each show is unique because of the people that are in the room at that night and feeding off of the energy of the audience. Sometimes there are ways that songs can evolve over time because of that kind of interaction and influence that you have from from fans and, and people in the community. It's so intentional. It's incredible to hear about all, all that process. And I can only imagine what those archives of country regular <laughs> all, all the ones that don't don't make the cut into maybe the 
the live performance or the CD. It's so exciting to to know that that process has been gone through and that you have those reserves there because, yeah, you never know when something's going to inspire something else. And you're a young artist, too. So it's exciting to to watch your career and, and imagine where it's going. Is it a very different process then when you're making the album then versus preparing for, for a live show? Are you drawing from more material when you're doing that? I think they're connected in a lot of ways. I think the hardest part about putting together an album is choosing which song goes on it and how it will fit together. I have thousands of completed songs. And of course, during the process of making an album, you'll get inspiration to write another song and then you'll try to figure out like how you can make things come together. But the way that I shape my album is I kind of wanted it to sort of emulate a little bit a live performance since it was a album that we did over the pandemic. A lot of the ways that people were able to experience connection with other people was over the virtual world, through virtual concerts or through listening to music that can help them through that time. And so there was a lot of reflection between that and what I've done in shows. But of course, shows also help inspire what kind of songs go onto the album, because based on like the different reactions that people have to it, I may choose to include a song that people have a greater like affinity to. And then, of course, concerts are a wonderful way to test out songs. Sometimes um, it's a training ground for figuring out what different audiences like. And I've definitely had songs that grew that way. But there are a lot of songs that we perform that are unreleased. <laughs> and so I am really excited to be able to record more of those songs and release them as singles in the oncoming months. When you have a song that you've written, who do you take it to first? My family. They're really good critics <laughs> because they'll tell me the truth. They'll tell me whether they like it, they don't like it. But they're also really good cheerleaders for me. I think that sometimes when I'm in my own head writing a song, I may be like, oh, this isn't good and I'll, I'll overthink it, but then I'll perform it for them and they'll be giving me a reaction that I didn't expect, that they, they really love the song, they they see where the connections are and I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, I, I wasn't going to do anything with this. And so it's really great to get feedback from people. My co-writing partner and drummer and father, Kieran Francis, also really helps inspire me. He has been the one that has showed me all those genres when I grew up and really helped teach me about the songwriting process. And we bounce ideas off of each other to figure out some of the more, you know, variety of areas. Like we try to be as diverse as possible. We try to do a lot of different things in our music rather than staying on one kind of artistic path. And so I think having the ability to have that is wonderful. During the pandemic, you're mentioning that, you know, all the things are online and I'm assuming that must have been tough for someone who's like such a incredible live performer. Were you doing a lot of stuff, like a lot of virtual concerts? Yes. Fortunately, all the Francis family band members live in the house. So <laughs> we got to continue practicing and doing shows together as a four piece. We were able to do quite a few shows, virtual shows and physical festivals in the summer because of the open air uh, we were able to do a lot of outdoor festivals. Some of the virtual concerts that we did was Calgary Folk Fest. We did something for the German National Radio Broadcaster, Ottawa Jazz Fest. There, there were quite a few. And, and of course, there were also those go into the venue 
pre-record it, then live stream it. Uh, We did some for the National Arts Center, which were really great. But I think it definitely was different. Even when I was able to perform in a space with people in the audience, they were oftentimes not allowed to dance. Um, They weren't allowed to sing That would have been very difficult. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) But there are other ways of dancing. You know, we encourage them to shrug their shoulders and clap along. And you could see that people were really appreciative that they were able to still engage despite those restrictions. How do you summon that energy to perform? You know, I've heard a lot of folks talk about the difficulty of, of doing those online performances because you're not getting that feedback from the audience. How, how were you able to summon that that energy to do those virtual performances? Yeah, some of the performances were a little bit weird. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, some of them were surprisingly really good. The Calgary Folk Fest, they had put it up so that they encouraged everyone to show their cameras and people were having Mm. barbecues and family cookouts. And so they would spotlight people who were dancing in the audience. And so if you dance more, then you get the opportunity to be spotlighted. We did a few Blues in the Schools events where students were just dancing like crazy. And those were really satisfying. But I think the energy definitely was weird because a lot of the times we feed off of the energy that the audience gives back to us. So luckily we had each other to hype each other up <laughs> and all the feedback that we received was great. So it was a little bit of a mystery at times. It was like, do they like it? Do they not? All I see is initials on a Zoom screen in a square. So I'm not really sure, but there are a lot of positives to it. I'm glad that we were able to do that. There were a lot of people around the world and in Europe and different continents that were able to experience our shows because of this virtual opportunity. And I know that we gained a lot of fans from that. And when we visit those parts of the world that we'll have people there who know our music. So it wasn't all bad. And it was also wonderful that we were still able to create music during that time. When you're putting together your live show, is that a really collaborative process with the group? You you have choreography and it's a real show, right? And so how much of that is like a collaborative process? It is a very collaborative process, but it's also collaborative with the audience as well. Mm -hmm. So we will draft an outline based off of location. So audience type. Is it, is it a family show? Is it an older audience? Are there certain songs that an older audience might appreciate more? Have we gone to this area and people here have really loved gospel blues? We'll put in different things like that, depending on the tech and equipment that's available to us. Like if we take a plane, there's certain instruments we can't bring with us. So how are we going to shape this? Of course, we play a lot of different instruments. So we have to be very aware of each other and how we're going to switch instruments in between songs in a way that's really convenient to us without too many pauses in between songs. So sometimes it's 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 about convenience and the different ways that we can raise and lower the energy level. If we're going to do a slow song, then we want to do a fast song. After that, we want to start with a bang. We want to end with a bang. Sometimes, depending on how an audience interacts, We'll take out a song or we'll throw in a song to better serve the kind of energy that they're showing us at the time. Is there a lot of communication that's happening in the moment then, like between band members? Yes. On stage? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Quite a bit. 
do you feel like you're at that like telepathy point? I mean, you're, you're performing with your family. So sometimes family members naturally have that, right? That like, I can just look at you and I know what you're thinking just by the look on your face, you know? Or do you have it like more mapped out than that? Well, different songs have different kinds of things. We have certain kinds of signals that we give to each other. Of course, you know, oftentimes you'll face a situation where there is less time in a set that you thought that you have. So <laughs> there's a lot of last minute changes that may happen because of technical difficulties. And so we have different kind of signals that we give to each other, different kind of signals that we have for leading the direction of the songs. I love that I get to play bass for a lot of the songs and especially with the upright bass, because even though I may not have the hands to give them certain kinds of signals, they can hear the kind of signals within my instrument. Mm -hmm. And so I get to lead the rhythm section, which in turn helps them shape what they do in their songs. Hello, this is Rosalind from Folk Music Ontario, and I'm hopping in here to invite all of our Refocus listeners to join us for a special webinar series taking place every Wednesday in March as part of our Expert Ready program in partnership with Folk Music Canada. We'll be talking to experts in international touring about how to access audiences and stages across the globe and develop those markets into sustainable career opportunities. Listeners can RSVP for free by heading to folkmusicontario.org events. We hope to see you there. What instrument did you start on when you were growing up? Because bass is really big. I'm guessing you didn't start on the on the upright bass, but you're just so so excellent at it. Thank you so much. Well, when I started expressing my interest to be a performing musician professionally as a child, my parents wanted me to have a lot of different options. They wanted me to be a really well-rounded musician so that I could go into any aspect of the industry just in case I didn't want to perform later on. Uh, so they were very supportive, but they did have a few rules. So the first would be that I had to maintain an A average throughout school. But with that, they gave me the resources to learn many different instruments and they said, you have to learn an instrument because this is a really important skill to being able to tell people exactly what you want when you're writing songs, when you're playing shows. There's so many avenues and it's really good for the brain. So they said the mm -hmm. first instrument you have to play is piano. The second instrument you have to play is guitar. And then after that, you can choose any instrument you want. And that's definitely something me and my sisters took advantage of. <laughs> So were you all in that same path then? Did you all start with piano and guitar? Yeah, for most of us, we, we started with piano and guitar. You all kind of have that base musical language, right? Yeah. You know, music is such a language in its way, and each instrument has its own idiosyncratic ways about it. So it was neat that you guys have instruments in common. Yeah, it makes it really uh, convenient to just add different things to our shows and switch up the instruments. So are you, when you're learning, are you taking like private lessons? Like is everyone kind of going through the same process as you're growing up of how you're learning music? Well, everyone's different and there's different opportunities available at different stages in, in life, in the community and stuff like that. For me, a lot of the instruments that I learned were first self-taught. The internet is so beautiful. There's there's an avenue out there for everyone. There's a, many different kinds of playing styles that maybe instructors in my area weren't teaching. So there was a lot of like classical upright bass, but there wasn't a lot in terms of like jazz and bluegrass and blues styles. But as I got older, there were more opportunities to study those sorts of things. For the upright bass, I was really fortunate that my high school had a bass. 
Unfortunately, they didn't have anyone to teach it. So they were like, yeah, you can have it, but (laughs) no one's going to teach you. But there were so many different opportunities for me to learn and grow with my classmates. And it was such an incredible music program because they basically allowed you to do anything you wanted. Like you would come towards them with an idea like, I want to form this band. I want to do this initiative. I want to do this concert. And they would say, "Okay, here's what we're going to do to fundraise it. Here's what we're going to do to make it happen. And it was so wonderful to just give students the opportunity to do that. And then also during the summer months, even when we didn't have school, they would let me bring the double bass around the country and in the States to play shows. And then, of course, I studied at Carleton University, a Bachelor of Music, and I did like I could study any any instrument I want, any genre I want, songwriting, composition, because they have the singer-songwriter program. So I did blues harmonica, classical and jazz-based improvisation on upright bass, movie, film, composition. Like it was, there's a lot of different avenues. Oh, that's so cool. That was my next question is what you were studying at Carleton. So it was the singer-songwriter program. Yes. That seems like a, like a unique offering. I don't know of like a lot of universities that have that kind of avenue that you can take. I always think of like classical composition, but it's so neat that you got connected with that singer-songwriter program. Is that something that you had had your sights on or how did how did you discover that? Yeah, um, I was really happy to be able to find out about the singer-songwriter program. I'm not sure what it's like now. I graduated in 2019, but at the time, it was the only program of this kind in Canada. And I really liked that the program allowed you to study many different aspects of music. So you weren't limited to your genre alone. You could also interact with students from the different streams. So I think Carlton had a Celtic stream, classical stream, jazz, musical theater, pop vocals, and singer-songwriter. And so with that, I took advantage of just shaping the different things that I could do. So you could do songwriting, you could do composition, you could do audio engineering, you could do ethnomusicology. And then, of course, it gave you the ability to communicate with people from different fields because you studied their theory and their practices. And I think it just really helped make me a more rounded musician. Were there some collaborations that you did during that time that were particularly notable or or that surprised you in any way? Yeah, I think every day having the opportunity to work with students with different ideas and also the professors there were wonderful as well, especially within the Ottawa music community. And then they also had artist-in-residence people coming every year. So Kelly Lee Evans was one of the artist-in-residence and it was wonderful to learn about music business with her as well. Are you self Managed? Like, is your group self-managed or do you work with a manager, agent, that sort of thing? Well, we're almost completely independent. So we do everything ourselves. During the pandemic, we were set to record in a studio and, you know, put together the album. But unfortunately, because of pandemic restrictions, we had to record in our home studio, which we did for our first album. And I'm actually really glad we did that because we learned so many different things about ourselves and different ways to writing songs. But yeah, completely recorded, mixed, mastered at home. Um, My dad is my agent. We do all the music videos ourselves. We basically do everything ourselves. But we do have the wonderful Brian Slack for blues, Quebec-based performances. And then Mm -hmm. this year, we got the opportunity to work with a publicist, Eric Alpert, who has been doing wonderful work with our album, Long River. 
So was Long River then, that entire album was self-produced? Yes. Which is nominated for the Juno. So <laughs> that's so incredible. That's really, really inspiring that you and your family were able to to do all that. That's a lot. That's a lot to like be excelling at, at, at the live performance and that you guys are interested in in the music industry side of things and have enough music industry chops to be like representing yourself and doing all that work, but then to also have like the technical production side of it too. And then to have that work that you did be recognized nationally by several, many now awards. How does that feel? Oh, it feels amazing. And I also feel really lucky. I, I feel so lucky that my family just happened to want to do a career in the same field that I have done and that we wanted to work together. I am really grateful for my father, co-producer Kieran Francis, for his expertise as well. He used to work in high tech. And so there's a lot of technical knowledge behind that. And we were really excited to also receive one of the Maple Blues nominations for Producer Engineer of the Year. And to be amongst so many incredible artists this year. It just, it felt really great. And I'm really glad that my sisters have also wanted to join with me. The Angelique Francis band looked very different a few years ago, but as they mm. each reached an age where they decided that they were interested, they would join us on stage and then slowly more Francis family members started to join us. So I think my youngest sister inside of the band, Kira, joined us at age 11. Wow. Yeah. It's so exciting because your family is so talented. <laughs> I'm just like, I cannot wait for this quintet to happen. <laughs> I shouldn't even say that because there's not a lot of pressure. Like, do you feel like your youngest sister, is there like a lot of pressure for her to, to join the group? I just heaped all that pressure on. I didn't, I'm probably not the only one though. No, not at all. She's welcome to join us if she wants to. Mm -hmm. She's shown some interest, but if she decides that she wants to do something else later on, I mean, we're happy to support her in any field. And I do think that, you know, there's so many benefits to like, even if they don't decide to be in music later on, there's so much that music has done for all of us academically, developmentally, helping with coordination, helping with discipline, helping us meet other people, become more personable. There's so many different ways that it connects. And also there's so many different skills that we can have together. I think that because we are able to work together, we're able to teach each other different things and take our weaknesses and build them into strengths. Through music, I was able to learn different coding languages. I was able to get a career in voice acting because of my music production knowledge. Because of the different musicology studies that I did, I'm very good at writing. And I used to be a contractor at Carleton University doing different kinds of writing. And so I think there's so many different avenues from film composition to history to theory to being a teacher to working different contracts with people. There's so many different avenues that they can learn from music. And even if they don't decide to go into a direct performance stream, there are just so many opportunities for them to build their future with. And I had this like vision of your little sister being like, I want to be a doctor. And your family would be like, no, not until you finish your music lessons. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> 
So now that you are starting to tour again and and playing more live shows, what's that transition like for you? And how have you maintained your health and stayed healthy on the road? The transition for me has been wonderful. I think that we're all just so eager to get back to it, to get back to meeting people, seeing amazing acts and longtime friends that we haven't seen in a long time and also making new friends. I think that, you know, one of the ways I stayed healthy prior to the pandemic was really I find so much joy in sharing stories and learning other stories through the opportunities that music gives me. Meeting with people is a privilege that I think that I have been able to experience more because of music. Before, outside of music, I was quite introverted because music kind of gave me that opportunity to get to know myself and and get to connect with other, other people. There's various things that I do to stay healthy on the road. Of course, coming right outside of the pandemic, we weren't really out of it. But, you know, that kind of state where you're not sure what things were going to be like, especially mm-hmm. at the start of 2022, where things were reaching another height. There are certain things precautionary measures that we put in place to make sure that we stayed healthy and we're able to continue doing those shows. So of course, like the basic things, we'll we'll always bring vitamins on the road, vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc. The girls hate the zinc. It's gotta zinc up. And then of course, there's the different things that we do to stay physically healthy because things can be quite taxing on your body if you don't take care of them properly. And, you know, oftentimes you don't get a lot of opportunity to do things in the moment. So preparation is also really great. There's different things that we do from like doing various stretches so that we can make sure we stay flexible. We don't want to hurt our backs or our knees lifting up heavy equipment. And there's various things that I do for each aspect of my musicianship, like for each instrument. So for bass, there was a time in high school where I actually broke my upright bass. It it like, yeah, I was so afraid. It was like my first month of playing it. And I leaned it up against a wall and it fell over and the neck cracked (laughs) off. So, of course, my dad saved me and we glued it back together. We went to Home Depot and we stapled the thing back together. But because of that, we weren't professional instrument maintenance people. The action was extremely high and I almost got tendonitis. So (laughs) through that experience, I really learned the importance of stretching. And there are certain kind of muscle exercises that I did with weights so that I can grow those muscles so they don't strain themselves. Of course, you know, with vocals, you have to stay hydrated. You have to do warm-ups. Sometimes I drink tea, like peppermint tea with lemon and honey. And if I'm drinking water, I always make sure that it's room temperature. There are different things, rituals that we do to help ourselves mentally. I think something that's really great about the setup that we have is that, as I said before, home is always on the road. And even if we're stressed, we know that we have the support of each other to lean back on. We have different things that we do before each show, different like checklists that we go through to make sure like peace of mind, if anything goes wrong, here are some backup things that we can do. And before each show, we hype each other up and give each other encouragement for picking up our energy levels, making sure that we always give the best show possible. Because even if an audience isn't as interactive in the beginning, we hope that our energy will help inspire them to 
have a great time and hopefully give them experience they haven't had before. I'm interested in the checklist. Can you give me an example of something that's on your on your checklist that you would go through before before a live performance? Yeah. So I have different checklists for different situations. I think some of the checklists, if if we're going like less, do I have my harmonicas on the rack and do I have our microphones set up? There are other things like making sure that each member knows what the order of the songs are because set lists can change. Here are certain things that we're changing to bring more engagement in the certain part. But there's also like checking in with every member, making sure they're okay, if they they need anything. I think really the greatest part about what we do is being able to rely on each other and being there for each other and just making sure they understand that we're always there to support them. That's really neat to think about. Yeah, even just some people, I'm sure, do that mentally. It's interesting to think about doing it like with a physical checklist, but the idea of just going through these steps so that you can feel a little bit maybe like freer or something like that on stage. You're not worrying in the back of your mind, like, did I do this thing? Did I tune this? That's really cool that you kind of mitigate some of that stuff in like a real way. Thank you. Yeah, I definitely think it does give me some freedom because if I make a checklist and I make sure everything's on that list and I did everything on that list and I'm like, okay, there's nothing else to worry about now but giving a great show. That's fantastic. Do you have any parting words or advice that you would give to musicians who are are still kind of honing their stagecraft? Yeah, I would say um, try a lot of new things. Don't be afraid to try an idea that may be a little bit more out there because there's a lot of people out there and everyone has different things that they identify with. So I think that the greatest thing is to allow yourself to make mistakes because you learn from those mistakes. You become a better person, you grow. And if I didn't have the opportunity to have that experience to try the things, I would never figure out what worked. I wouldn't be able to grow my confidence and I wouldn't be able to learn about the things that become like a a primary part of my identity now. So it's don't be afraid to try new things is basically what I want everyone to take away from it. And don't be afraid to make mistakes because you'll become a better person for it. What else is happening for you that you're looking forward to? Well, there's a lot of great shows coming up this year. And there's a lot of announcements for festivals that will be coming up in the oncoming weeks and months. For information about my shows or upcoming music releases and things like that, you can visit my website, angeliquefrancis.net, as well as all the social medias. And other things that I'm excited for, I recently uh, came out with a music video for my song, Ashamed, which is also off the Long River album. There will be other music videos coming out for Long River in the next few weeks and months. The next one to be released next month will be Long River, the title track of the album. So I'm really excited for that to come out. Oh, we're excited too. And we'll link to all of those in the show notes as well. So you can check the show notes to find out more about Angelique Francis and be sure to follow her online and on all of the social media. Angelique, thank you so much for joining us and I wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much and thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciated our conversation. It's been so wonderful. That's it for this episode of Refocus. Please subscribe, rate, and review on the podcast app of your choice so you never miss an episode. For more information, you can visit us at folkmusicalontario.org and follow us on social media 
at Folk Music Ontario. This refocus session is brought to you through the generous support of the Department of Canadian Heritage. <laughs>